Hi, my name is Chris. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. It's Elena here. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new opportunity for us to get together on Sunday mornings virtually through a watch party hosted by our very own connections team. The watch party is 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and you can join via Zoom and we have an opportunity to worship together, to watch the message together, even to pray together. And if you're so if you're like me and completely miss being in the varsity and seeing everybody on Sunday morning, then join us 10 a.m. on Sundays for the watch party. Hi, Love Chapel Hill family. This is Dominique checking in to share a little bit about our children's ministry Quest Kids with you. If you are a family that's been with us for a little while, or maybe you're joining more recently and you're looking for a way for your kids to be plugged in, please feel free to join us on Sunday mornings via Zoom at 10 a.m. We have a live Zoom session where we start off just kind of checking in with your kids, asking how the week is going, sharing prayer requests so that we can know how to best pray for them during the week. Um, we have an interactive Bible story as well as games. And um, we just have a very loving group of children as well as the volunteers who are amazing that um, work to get your kids plugged in so that they feel connected and that it's a, and create just a very safe space um, for them, even though it's virtual. Um, so they can just feel welcome and like they're getting just like a big hug. Um, it's such a fun space. Um, I love being on on Sunday mornings and um, seeing all the kids connect. And if that is something you're desiring for your kids just to connect, to learn more about their faith, um, or just to learn what that is and what it looks like to walk with Jesus and what that means and what that means for their relationships, where they are as kids and um, how that reflects um, who they are as individuals and live that out. Um, this is a great safe space for that and a fun, fun space. We also send out activities that they can do during the week that help them kind of connect back to what we talked about on Sunday mornings. Um, if you have any interest in that, um, please feel free to reach out. My email address is questkids at lovechapelhill.com and I'd love to share more information with you and just connect with you on that. Have a great Sunday. Hi, Love Chapel Hill. We're excited to be with you this morning. We're the Davises. My name is Natalie. My name is Riley, and we have a couple announcements to share. And so the first is our website, lovechapelhill.com. So if you go on the website, you'll be able to find a few different ways to stay connected with the church, with the folks who go to the church, through uh, Bible studies, through small groups, through prayer groups, and even opportunities for your kids. And also, if you are new or if you'd like to connect with the leadership of the church, you can fill out um, a connect card. So you can find those in the link in the Facebook description or in the YouTube description beneath the video. Um, and there are opportunities for you to indicate if you would like to serve, if you would like to be part of a group, or if you have any questions about the church, um, again, or would like to be connected to leadership. So enjoy the service this morning.
The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. And my God will never fail. And my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And I'm gonna see a victory. And I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus And every war he wages he will win And I'm not backing down from any giant Cause I know how the story will end Yes, I know how this story will end and I'm gonna see a victory And I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord And I'm gonna see a victory And I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord Battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. You turned it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. You turned it for good And you take what the enemy meant for evil And you turned it for good And you turned it for good And you take what the enemy meant for evil And you turned it for good And you turned it for good I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord And I'm gonna see a victory And I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord And I'm gonna see a victory and I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord And I'm gonna see a victory And I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you,
worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship you. And you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here, turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. And you are here, mending every heart. I worship you. And I worship you. And you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Oh, you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. A way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 
You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And that is who you are. 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 And that is who you are. 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 Hey, Love Chapel Hill. I want to start today uh, with another good news announcement. Uh, the date and location for our regathering uh, is set. So we are going to regather uh, on May 23rd, Sunday, May 23rd. That's actually Pentecost Sunday. Uh, the birth of the church is celebrated on that day. And so we're going to come together on May 23rd. Uh, and the location will be the Forest Theater. Uh, as you know, we have some deep history with Forest Theater. We've worshiped there together multiple times through the years uh, for Good Friday services, where we've come together with other churches from across our community. Uh, and so we're going to be there. Um, also, several of our, our Sundays where we were filming uh, and videoing this, uh, we did that out at Forest Theater. So we've got layers of connection there. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, outdoor amphitheater. Uh, that's right there in the heart of our community. Uh, so plenty of space for us to uh, be spaced out um, and for us to be able to follow all of the safety precautions that we need to uh, as a family together. Um, one of the things about that is uh, that we're going to start in May at Forest Theater and we're going to come back to Forest Theater uh, for July. But for the month of June, uh, we're going to actually need to meet in a different space. And so uh, for the month of June, we're going to meet together in Coker Arboretum. Beautiful uh, area right here in the heart of campus, in the heart of downtown Chapel Hill. Uh, many of you have spent spent time there. You've taken graduation pictures there or other things like that, had special moments there. Uh, and so it's a beautiful place for us to gather together. Uh, once again, another layer of depth for uh, being rooted in the heart of our community. Uh, and I think in that garden environment, uh, the way we see scripture, the whole story of scripture connected from beginning to end uh, with so much garden imagery. I think it's a perfect place for us to gather together uh, to worship as a church family, to worship the resurrected Jesus. So we're really excited for that. Uh, we'll start again at Forest Theater, May 23rd. Month of June, we'll be at in the, in the Arboretum in an open space there in the middle of the Arboretum. And then we'll be back to Forest Theater uh, for the month of July. Um, we are going to need help. So uh, if you are ready for this, then we would love for you to volunteer for one of our teams. Uh, we have a hospitality team, connections team, media team. Uh, uh, we have a lot of needs set up, uh, have a lot of needs. And so if you could jump in and, and if you're ready for that, uh, then we would love to have you help lead in this process by volunteering. Just reach out to us and let us know 
that you're ready to help. Uh, another thing that we want to to keep in front of us is that we understand that uh, some people within our church community are not able to meet in person yet uh, or are not feeling comfortable with that yet. And we honor that decision um, and we are thinking of you. And so we're going to make an opportunity available for you to still be able to participate so that we can all be in this together. Uh, so there will still be an online uh, option and, a, and availability to participate like that. So we are a church family and we want to always be thinking about everyone who's a part of our church family. So that's regathering. We're so excited for that and uh, can't wait to be back together in person like that. May 23rd. Forest Theater. Today we're going to keep moving uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. Yes, we are still in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, since Advent, we've been walking through this story of Jesus. Uh, through the season of Lent, we especially leaned into the key stories uh, that led us um, on this journey with Jesus towards the cross uh, that culminates uh, not only in his crucifixion on the cross, but in his victorious resurrection from the dead uh, that we celebrated together on Easter Sunday. And so now that we are in this new season, in this Easter season, um, historically churches around the world uh, have taken 50 days at the start of Easter, from Easter Sunday all the way to Pentecost Sunday, uh, 50 days to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in this season known as Easter Tide. So Easter is not only a day, it's a season, and we are walking through that together, celebrating. And so through Lent, we looked at the storyline of the Gospel of Matthew. And in Easter Tide, we are looking back, we're reading backwards, so to speak, uh, at the teachings of Jesus and drilling down more deeply into some of these teachings of Jesus and looking at them through that uh, twin lens that, the, that's framed by the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're reading these teachings through that lens. And so today we're in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 17. Uh, and we're going to look at one of the parables, one of the images that Jesus uses to teach us about the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus is a genius. We get this, right? We know this. Jesus as a teacher uh, is such a genius. And we see this on display. Um, he's constantly drawing from, from everyday life uh, these ordinary images. And yet, embedding them with this eternal truth. And so everyday life suddenly comes alive with eternal truth when Jesus gets his hands on these images. Uh, about one third of the teachings of Jesus come to us in the form of an image or a parable or a story. He recognizes how this will stick in our minds, how this will connect with our hearts on a on a different level will stay with us and will keep inviting us in to exploring layer after layer of meaning that is hidden in plain sight uh, in these parables and these images. So he's, he's often talking about fish and nets and seeds and harvest, uh, roads and gates, vines and branches and fruit. And so today we're in one of those uh, images that you're going to see in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 17. So let's read that together. 
Then John the Baptist's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So we see this somewhat cryptic kingdom imagery coming from Jesus here. We remember the context of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. There's this building, this rising of kingdom action as the ministry of Jesus is rolling out. He's expressing his authority uh, through miracles, miracles showing his authority over nature, over sickness, even over the forces of evil and darkness. Um, we see Jesus calling people to follow him uh, who were seen as on the absolute outside of society, rejected, reviled, seen as the worst kind of sinners, as he calls Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples. Uh, we even see Jesus pronouncing the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and he's healing people and pronouncing the forgiveness of sins at the same time, showing uh, this authority that he carries as the son of God. And then we see him celebrating the kingdom's arrival with the least likely uh, list of dinner guests, uh, people that were uh, absolutely rejected by society, seen as sinners. Uh, and when Jesus sits at this table with them and enters into relationship with them, we see the controversy swarm around him. The Pharisees call him out with this question and they say, why do you eat with sinners? Uh, the Pharisees saw these people as being so far from God. Um, but we know that there's no such thing as a person who is far from God. First of all, God is everywhere. He fills up all of his creation. Uh, so there's nowhere you can go and escape from his presence. Uh, but at the same time, we know that God is pursuing each and every one of us. So there's no such thing as a person who is far from God. But the Pharisees ask him this question, why do you eat with sinners? Right on the heels of that question from the Pharisees comes this question from John the Baptist's disciples that we get in this passage. Why don't you fast with us? So the Pharisees are saying, why do you eat with them? And the disciples of John the Baptist are saying, why don't you fast with us? Uh, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees would not be seen as being on the same page uh, with, with very many things. Um, John the Baptist was very vocal in calling out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and for what he saw as using the religious system as a form of oppression on God's people. Uh, John the Baptist refers to them as a brood of vipers and says that the acts of God's judgment is already waiting at the root of the Pharisees tree. Uh, so there's, there's, these people are not on the same team. Okay. Uh, and yet both groups come to Jesus and they find controversy around how Jesus is operating. I think that's so true of Jesus. We see that all the time. 
Uh, and you have to recognize that when you stand faithfully with Jesus, uh, when you stand where you sense he is telling you to stand, when you try to live and love with the heart of Jesus, you're often going to find yourself um, kind of stuck in the middle between multiple groups of people. Uh, and you're going to find yourself over and over again in the middle of controversy. Uh, the way of Jesus is often very difficult to understand. Uh, and so anyway, so we see uh, John the Baptist's disciples come with this question of why don't you fast with us? Um, fasting was an important practice, religious practice for the Jewish people, for those who saw themselves as faithful to the covenant uh, and living in this covenant relationship with God. Uh, fasting was one of three main uh, practices known as acts of righteousness. You hear Jesus talking about acts of righteousness at different times in his teachings, uh, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and fasting was one of those. So it's prayer, fasting, and the giving of alms or giving to people who are in need. And so these three practices, every Jewish person who's faithful to God's covenant uh, was expected to act these out and live these out. And so John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples are wondering, why don't we see you fasting? We're fasting. Why aren't you fasting? Jesus says, it's not that Jesus is rejecting these practices. We know that because he teaches us about them and he teaches us how to do them within the heart of the kingdom, right? So we know he's not rejecting these practices, but instead he's pointing to something deeper in this moment. And he says, listen, in this moment, it's not about the practice of faith. It's about the object of faith. What is the purpose of fasting? We understand that the purpose of fasting is to get our focus on to God and to recognize that, that we have a deep craving for him that goes deeper than any other, even of our most basic physical needs, that we long for him, that we need him that desperately. And that's what fasting is designed to do. And so Jesus is saying, uh, why would they fast right now to focus on God when God himself is standing in front of them? Why would they do that right now when I am here now. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's not rejecting the practice. He teaches us how to practice it and models that himself. But in this moment, he's saying, this is not the time for that. Their focus is in the right place. Fasting is to focus on God. They're focused on me. They're with me. I am here right now. Does this mean uh, that we no longer grieve and we no longer mourn? Because that's the thing Jesus says here. Why would they grieve? Why would they lament when I'm here with them while we're in the middle of this celebration and this feast celebrating the arrival of the kingdom? Does this mean that all mourning is over and that all grieving is over because Jesus has appeared in the incarnation? Of course not. We know that that's not the case. Uh, it is a very deeply Christ-like thing to do, to grieve and to mourn. When you are walking through times of grieving and mourning, it is not a lack of faith to feel the weight of that and to be honest about that. That is a very Christ-like thing to do. We see God himself mourning. We see Jesus mourning and grieving with others who are mourning as well. 
So that is a very Christ-like thing to do. Be honest about it. Sit in the weight of that and ask him to comfort you. He promised us, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Ask him to sit with you in that mourning. Sense him mourning with you and for you and ask him to be your comfort. Jesus mourns with us. And today and this week, uh, we know that he is also mourning with the families of Dante Wright uh, and of Adam Toledo uh, and the grief that comes with that loss and the weight of that injustice. He is grieving with these families and he is mourning with them and he's calling us to join in with the mourning, to mourn with those who mourn. He's also mourning with George Floyd's family this week again as these new stories are coming out and they're forced to relive the trauma of what they went through even as the man who killed George Floyd is sitting on trial. He's mourning with these families this week and so are we. He invites us to mourn as well. Let's pause for a moment and ask Jesus to teach us how to mourn with those who are mourning. And let's pause and just give a moment of silence and space for that. Amen. Tragedy is not something you scroll past. It's something that you sit in. And then it's something that you stand up in to move and to be a part of the healing. Let's keep asking the Holy Spirit to teach us what it looks like to be a part of the healing, to be a part of breaking down the broken walls that need to come down and being a part of repairing and restoring in what shalom truly looks like, the reigning peace and justice and mercy and grace of Jesus in the world. Uh, these two images that um, Jesus gives us here in this passage uh, once again, like we've said, they're everyday images. They're drawn right from uh, the everyday lives of the people who would have been hearing this for the first time. Uh, and as Jesus just speaks these images, uh, he doesn't go into detail fully about what they mean. Uh, instead, he lays them out there 
uh, and allows the imagination of the people to begin to do the work. And so they begin to fill in the spaces of the background. Uh, they begin to fill in the spaces of the process uh, that would be a part of this picture that Jesus is drawing for them. For us, it requires more background work than it would have for the people who are hearing it first. And so in order to understand this, we've got to dig into the background. But the people who heard it first, it's immediate and it's coming to mind for them. And and their own minds are filling in the spaces of what Jesus means when he paints this picture. For us, it'd be like if I said uh, the kingdom of heaven is like the old well in spring. Okay, so I say those words, the old well in spring uh, and a person who lives in a different state from us, uh, who has no connection to our community whatsoever, would have no clue what that means. Right. But for us, the picture automatically starts to fill in. We see the old well in our minds. Uh, but then we begin to see the, the beautiful flowers and the landscaping that's around the old well in springtime. We see the tree uh, that almost embraces the old well, right? We see the leaves uh, sprouting there. We see the grass green. We see uh, the students in their Carolina blue um, uh, graduation gowns lining up to get their pictures taken. So many things start to fill in the gaps for us when we say that. Uh, similar things are happening for the people when they hear Jesus lay out this image. The first one is pretty obvious to us. We we get that here now, right? The unshrunk cloth piece, that if you try to make a patch out of an unshrunk uh, piece of cloth and you put it onto a piece of, of clothing that's an, an older garment, then when you wash that garment, when that garment gets wet, uh, the old garment's not going to shrink because it's already gone through that shrinking process. But that new patch that has not gone through the shrinking process yet will start to shrink. And when it does, it will pull at the threads that have been sewn there and it will pull away and it will end up ripping the older garment that it has been sewn to. And it will make the, the first tear will become worse in the process, right? So that's that's that first one, and that's pretty obvious. The second one is a little bit more nuanced with this image of new wine and old wineskins. What is Jesus talking about with this? What, what in the world does he mean? So first we have to start with the question of how does wine become wine? What is that process? How does wine become wine? And to the original hearers, they know this. They know what this looks like in this day and time. And so for them, uh, they would have imagined uh, the wine press. And uh, often a wine press is, uh, is, is carved out of stone. And so um, what you would have are these two uh, rectangle uh, shallow pits um, carved out of stone. And one of them is slightly raised and the other uh, is, is lower and is, and is dropped. And so in the higher one, in the, in the raised um, wine press pit, is where you put the grapes and that's where you go through the process of stomping on the grapes, right? And so as you're crushing the grapes, the grape juice is running out of the grapes. They run into a channel that is dug here into the higher pit, uh, which sends it down into the lower 
uh, pit of the wine press. And so the wine starts to collect there. Then that wine uh, gets taken out of that lower press and it gets stored in containers. And these containers would have been made out of leather, uh, out of animal skin, uh, often goat skin. Uh, and so that, that's where they are kept. That's where the, the wine is kept when it's made or in these wine skins. Okay. Uh, these leather containers made out of animal skin. Now, when the wine gets put into the wine skin, when the grape juice gets put into the wine skin, then it begins this process of fermentation. And it's this transformation process of it actually becoming wine. Transformation is happening. Change is happening while it's stored there in that container of the wineskin. Carbon dioxide gets released in that process of fermentation, uh, causing and forcing the container uh, to stretch and to expand as that is happening as that transformation process is happening. So it's not only the wine that is in this process of transformation, but also this new wine skin gets stretched in the process as well. It is also changing and being transformed by the transformation that is happening within it. So the outer container gets changed by the change that is happening within it. The new wine skin... Uh, has that flexibility and has that capacity to be stretched. It has that uh, flexibility. And so as the wine inside it goes through that change, the wine skin changes and flexes with it. But here's the thing. An old wine skin uh, has already been through that process of change. An old wineskin has already been stretched and it has reached its point of stretching capacity. It can't be stretched anymore. Uh, it's been aged to the point where it's not going to give anymore. There's no more space uh, for it to stretch. It can't do it anymore. So when you put new wine, are you with me here? <laughs> when you put new wine into an old wineskin, then it ends up ruining both of them. The new wineskin can move, it can flex, it can stretch as that transformation is happening. But when you put that new wine that is going through transformation, that is changing into the old wineskin, it can't move and it can't change along with the wine. It does not change, it does not flex, it does not stretch. Instead, it breaks. And when it breaks, the wine, the new wine spills out onto the ground and is lost. And the old wine skin is broken open and can no longer be used. It is ruined. Both are lost at the same time. There are two uh, immediate applications here that we need to lean into this morning. The first application is for us as a church. So what does this mean? What is this image that Jesus is teaching us? What does this mean for Love Chapel Hill? Uh, we have to take a step back and recognize that we have just come through a year of change, um, a year plus of significant change that we have all experienced together. Our change has been different. Uh, we've experienced different types of it. 
uh, at different levels. Um, much of that change that we've experienced has been painful. But we also acknowledge that much of the change has produced growth. And so we have just come through uh, this season of change. And our prayer is that that change is going to produce growth in us. We recognize that not all change brings growth, uh, but all growth requires change. And so I think that that's much of what we have been through together uh, as a church family, that we've come through a year of deepening, that we've come through a year of expanding, that we've come through a year of clarifying. And as we prepare to regather together on May 23rd, as excited as we are about that opportunity, we have to pause and we have to recognize and say very clearly that we cannot expect to simply come back as exactly the same church that we were one year ago. So much change has taken place, so much transformation. Hopefully most of that gets transformed into deepening and expanding and clarifying. But we have to recognize the change that has taken place. And as a church family, as this mission here in the heart of this community, we have to be prepared to stretch and we have to be prepared to flex along with that change. If we don't, then we risk losing the transformation that has taken place. We've got to be ready to change along with what has taken place under the surface and what has happened within us. If we resist the stretching, then we might lose the transformation. If we resent the change, then we might lose the growth. What does that look like for you? What does it mean for you to be stretched and to be flexible to move along with the change that we have experienced as a church family. What is it going to require of you? What is it going to ask of you? What does it mean about you letting go of? What does it mean for you to step into new things in new ways? What is it for you? And are you ready for that? The second big application here. Uh, yes, it's for us as a whole church family, uh, but we know that when Jesus was giving this image, he wasn't thinking directly about Love Chapel Hill in the year 2021. Uh, we know that what Jesus is pointing at in this moment is the deep truth of the gospel. And so if the first application is for us as a whole church family, then the second application is for you directly. What does this mean for you, for what Jesus is bringing about in your life, the kind of change and transformation that he is churning in your life? What Jesus is pointing here to so clearly is the truth of the gospel, that there is transformation that comes through Jesus, through his life, through his sacrificial death, through his victorious resurrection, we are made new and we are born again into a new life that he is forming for us. There is transformation that is happening through him. And this passage is about him. It's about him. 
Jesus is that new wine. He is the change and he is the one who's cultivating growth and pressing change and working transformation in our lives. He's bringing new life. And the reality is, is he's confronting old structures when he does that. When Jesus is bringing new life, then old structures have got to give way. They've got to change. The old structures cannot hold the change that Jesus is bringing about. Something has to change. Something has to give or it's all going to break. Something has to change. Something has to give or it's all going to break. What is happening inside me through the transformation that Jesus is working in my life begins to push against the life around me. And I cannot preserve my old patterns. I cannot preserve my old choices, my old desires, my old priorities, my old dreams, my old allegiances. I cannot preserve my old life and try to contain his new life at the same time. I will risk losing both. Something's got to change. Something's got to give or it's all going to break. If I try to hold on to the old life and the new change at the same time, I will risk losing both in the end. This process of sanctification that Jesus is leading you through, that the Holy Spirit is cultivating and working in your life, this process of being made holy by the one who is holy, uh, this holy love that is getting birthed in us and getting raised up in us and is being sent out of us into the world around us. This process of sanctification is like the fermentation process. There's a change that is happening. It is churning in us. It is bringing up new growth that will reshape us into living, moving banquets of his holy love. Ultimately, this is about Jesus. Yes, as a church, we have to be prepared to change. We have to be prepared to be flexible. We have to be prepared to get stretched in order to hold on to the transformation that he is working in us. That's what we want. That's what we want. We don't just want to go back to exactly the way things were. We want to become the people that he is making us into. That is our hope. As much as we look forward to regathering, we are surrendered to that process of fermentation, of becoming the people that he has dreamed that we would be. That's what we're committed to. So yes, this is about our church and the change that we're experiencing and that we've got to be ready to embrace as his people. But more than that, this is about Jesus. Jesus is that new wine. He is the true vine. And when we are rooted in him, he is producing much fruit. When we abide in him, he will abide in us and will produce much fruit. This is to my father's glory. He said that you produce much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit of the spirit taking root in our lives, that symbol and sign of the transformation that he is bringing about in us. Jesus is the living water who is becoming that new wine for us. He invites us to his table to share his cup 
to take that cup and to remember the sacrifice of his life, to remember that he is the one who carried a cup that we could have never carried for ourselves. And even though he wanted to let it pass, he surrendered and said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. He was the one who was crushed and poured out for our salvation. And he is the one who is making all things new. The one that we taste and see and we say, you have saved the best for last. The new wine is the best wine. We know that that seems backwards, right? In our culture, that's not the way it's considered. And actually in the Jewish culture of that time and place, it wasn't considered that either. The, the old wine is the honored wine and that's the one that is longed for the most. So what does this mean when Jesus calls himself the new wine? The new wine is actually best because this new wine is eternal, which means that it's older than the old wine. There is wisdom that is older than what we call Christianity. There is no wisdom that is older than Christ. The new wine is the eternal wine. And he gives us this challenge. What about you? Will you grow? Will you stretch? Will you change? Will you submit to this process of sanctification and transformation that he is working in you and in us as a church family together? In the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand Make me your vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever you want me to be I came here with nothing But all you have given me Jesus, bring new wine out of me In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. And in the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand And make me your vessel And make me an offering Make me whatever you want me to be I came here with nothing But all you have given me 
Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Oh God, new wine out of me. Because where there is new wine, there is no power, there is no freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire again. Because where there is new wine, and there is new power, and there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here, I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire again. Make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. Came here with nothing, but all of you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of 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 me. Hi everyone, my name is Valerie and I hope you have enjoyed watching church this week. I've been thinking a lot about how it's been over a year since we've been together in person. And one thought that keeps circulating in my mind is that being the body of Christ must mean more than just gathering together on Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong, I'm very excited to be back together on Sundays this summer as we get together safely and responsibly. I'm also excited to see how Jesus keeps teaching us what it means to be His body on other days of the week and in other ways. I think Jesus has been shaping and stretching me to rethink my part in His body in ways that I can be the church as we get ready to regather and as that day comes closer, I hope we can all spend some time thinking about what it means to be the church. As we have learned from this last year, it can't only be Sunday mornings because we've been missing that, um, but it must mean something a little bit more than that, which could be diving into a discipleship band or joining the Wednesday morning prayer call, or maybe something completely different. So as we head into this week, and as the day approaches that we will be together again, I hope that you spend some time thinking about how you have been participating in the body of Christ, and how we as a church can continue to be shaped and stretched to represent Christ in a better way.